You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. Alright everybody, welcome back to Politics Weekly. Joining me uh, today, we have a, a previous guest from Politics Weekly. He's been on a couple of times. He's a, a political analyst, uh, Mr. Scott Stalker. Thank Thanks. you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Noel. So tell us a little bit about your uh, political experience in the past for those who are new to the Politics Weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly advisor on uh, several campaigns and... Uh, and sometimes a fly on the wall for larger events. Let's say. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we've got a lot of stories this week, so we might as well uh, jump in. So um, the uh, Donald Trump uh, is now claiming he has recovered from COVID nineteen. Of course, Trump uh, and many others in the White House, uh, including uh, uh, Press Secretary uh, Kaylee McEnany. Um, uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, uh, Republican National Committee Chairwoman uh, Ronna McDaniel, uh, and others um, have uh, uh, had tested positive uh, for uh, COVID-19, um, and President Trump was amongst them. Um, President Trump was hospitalized. He is now saying that he has recovered. He has uh, started to do uh, campaign events once again. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm shocked that uh, Trump has not uh, offered to donate blood uh, because I'm sure he would say that he has the best blood. <laughs> and um, I'm, of course, I'm happy you know that there were no fatalities amongst the people that you named. Um, the I thought Chris Christie might have been the biggest risk because his health, uh, just on a superficial level, does not appear to be, um, you know, that he's obviously not fit um, and far from that. You know, what we won't know for, we, we, we may never know, but um, is how those people perhaps spread it to other people who would then spread it even further and if there are any fatalities related to that. So I think no one was really surprised. Um, I mean, I, I guess there's two, two different ways to look at it. I was surprised because I thought maybe there was more sophistication surrounding the president. The NBA didn't have a single positive test, and they have dozens of people in, in the closest proximity, uh, both you know, breathing on each other and literally you know, leaning on each other and exchanging all kinds of things, and they had zero positive tests. So, and as well as the NHL, the NHL also um, didn't have any positive tests. And so I, um, I'm surprised that the Secret Service did not have a more sophisticated uh, level of testing. I think Joe Rogan has a 45 minute test. I believe there are 15 minute tests available. Um, so you would think that the president would be surrounded by nothing but people who have just recently tested uh, negative for coronavirus, but that obviously wasn't the case. All right. Uh, so uh, because uh, of Trump's COVID-19 diagnosis, uh, the second uh, debate between uh, President Trump and former Vice President uh, Biden that was scheduled was canceled and was replaced with two different uh, uh, town halls. Uh, the one with President Trump uh, was uh, on NBC and was hosted by Savannah Guthrie. Uh, the one featuring Joe Biden uh, was held on. Um, the one featuring Joe Biden was held on ABC, uh, and that was hosted by George Stephanopoulos. Uh, some of the uh, issues uh, talked about uh, during uh, the Biden. 
uh, town hall was the Supreme Court and the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, during the Trump town hall, there was a uh, there there was a bit of a heated confrontation between uh, Guthrie uh, and uh, President Trump, um, specifically over his handling of COVID nineteen, uh, also uh, over uh, a um, also over the president's. Uh, reference during the debate to the Proud Boys when he said stand back and stand by. There was a bit of a heated confrontation between him and her over that. What are your thoughts uh, about uh, about both town halls? Well, they certainly um, contrasted each other stylistically. Uh, the Biden town hall, uh, it, 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 at least, in, you know, the in really the moderators are were the reason for that, right? Guthrie was... Uh, adversarial, um, I thought somewhat uh, insulting, and it, and even I know she was in, interviewing Donald Trump, so that's you know a bit of a fine line, uh, which would be difficult. Uh, she did try to hold him to things, but it seemed like more of a hard interview and much less of a town hall. I don't think there were many questions, um, whereas the you know Stephanopoulos is a former um, Clinton campaign uh, associate. And certainly um, was a much more uh, convivial host. <laughs> um, and at times you could see that they, they truly like each other. Uh, I thought Biden and Stephanopoulos. Um, and the, the town, it was truly a town, more of a town hall. Whereas Trump's was more of, you know, like a, um, you know, an adversarial kind of style kind of interview. And, you know, substantively, I thought Joe Biden did well. He, uh, one, of the, one of the key questions was around the, um, the, the uh, crime bill uh, that he led during the 90s. And he said he regretted it, you know, in part. Uh, but he also, that answer was pretty long. And in parts of that answer, in part of that answer, he spoke to, you know, the the fact that we should not be defunding the police. And I think that that wins him a lot of points in, you know, sort of the center. Um, I know the far left, um, you know, and uh, Antifa, like that far left, uh, Antifa BLM, you know, folks have a defund the police as one of their, um, you know, ideas that they promote. And as recently, uh, you know, um, Al Sharpton has come out and said that only latte liberals support that. They're trying to defeat that um, idea from rooting in the Democrat Party. Um, it's, you know, and in fact, Biden said they need more uh, funding. Really, if you look look at his answer, because what, what he's talking about is more training, uh, more staff, uh, different types of staff, you know, social workers, um, I'm not sure if the realities will support, you know, a 911 call and a social worker responding and what type of use of force circumstances those are. Um, but overall, I thought, um, you know, President Trump did not do awfully. And I think he does unfairly continually get the question about, um, you know, denouncing white supremacist. He's done it. And I th the, the problem with Trump is... Uh, you have to be able to read what you have to speak Trump in order to understand what he's saying. What he's saying is he's very frustrated because he keeps getting this question and he says, why don't you ask Joe Biden this question essentially? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like the beginning of every debate and he's done it. And he, and then he, and then he asks for specifics like who, you know, would you, he's not the most um, strategic, you know, when he's in a uh, fluent discussion, he's much more visceral. Um, so I thought, you know, Trump's was a uh, pretty big disaster, uh, and I thought Biden's actually won him some points um, with some with some voters who might have been, you know, hearing a lot of rhetoric and not hearing a lot of substance. And and I thought he answered the question substantively. And he's got that when he's on, when Biden is on, he's definitely got the uh, emotional intelligence to connect and to pivot. Um, and answer, you know, things very empathetically. And I think Trump, Trump lacks that. He's much more visceral and he's able to 
uh, just have a stream of consciousness kind of answer usually. And it's, so I thought in that way, I thought Biden's, obviously the tenor of Biden's uh, town hall was much better. And I, and I thought he actually maybe even scored some points, uh, which I didn't think Trump uh, probably won anybody over. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. So the confirmation hearings uh, for Judge Amy Coney Barrett have uh, begun. Uh, Democrats and Republicans were questioning uh, Barrett, who is the nominee to replace the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. Uh, during, um, during the confirmation hearings, many Democrats, including uh, vice presidential candidate and California Senator Kamala Harris, uh, asked uh, or pressed uh, Barrett on the Affordable Care Act. Uh, so did Amy Klobuchar. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings, and how do you think she did during those hearings? I think she's a brilliant woman, and um, you know, I, I suppose the more modern answer would just be to say that she's brilliant. She was very good at setting aside and continuously pointing out that there's a difference between having a personal opinion and then setting those opinions aside and those biases aside and then analyzing the law. She's an originalist, and I think Scalia uh, would have been very proud uh, listening to her, uh, as would anyone uh, who's been involved in, you know, in her uh, career and, uh, and has served any kind of role you know, mentoring or teaching her. She was really, really uh, uh, well um, you know, disciplined in her answers. Uh, I felt bad. It was awkward sometimes because some of the questions were, I thought, inappropriate and obviously scripted. And I wish that, you know, when there's someone who's obviously qualified, that we could just come to terms with um, not having to ask such nasty, pointed questions. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, I thought, was a little unhinged. Uh, she certainly was trying her best to, um, you know, to change uh, the the confirmation hearing from one about um, ACB to one about, you know, the appropriateness of this, and um, certainly is legal, and she's going to be confirmed, uh, you know, barring a miracle. So I, di I didn't think, I thought the Democrats could have used the time more wisely. I think also it's telling that she didn't get many questions. She didn't, certainly didn't get as many questions as other confirmations directed at her. It was more about, you know, giving speeches and talking about the appropriateness of this particular nomination at this time. Um, and it, obviously it's, it's perfectly appropriate. Um, it's inconvenient for some folks. Uh, but I think she'll be nominated, and I, I think she'll be a good judge. And I, th I think if you look at Gorsuch and Roberts also, um, people, you know, when these judges get nominated, they, they, the news media sometimes frames them as, well, because they're conservative, they're going to vote in a, a certain lockstep way. And we saw that that wasn't true with Roberts' uh, you know, uh, opinion on the... Obamacare the first time, uh, if it weren't for Roberts, that you know the mandate would have been struck down a long time ago. So I don't think it's fair. I think we tend to try and put things in one bucket or another, and I and I I think any real judge uh, knows that there's a lot of gray and, and there's a lot to be interpreted. Uh, so I think she'll be I think she'll be nominated. I think she'll be a good judge. All right. Uh, well, let's move on or to confirmed. Yeah. Confirm. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next story. So there is uh, an upcoming uh, debate. One more upcoming debate. It's set to be held uh, this uh, coming Thursday, um, and that will be the final debate between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. What are your thoughts on this? This will apparently this will be hosted on uh, NBC News. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, uh, NBC still has a news division. I didn't realize. the. Uh, I just thought it was all one uh, monolith, but I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so the, um, yeah, I mean, I can't say that I'm looking forward to it because that last one was so awful. It was so awful. 
and it was really too. Uh, I think the best, uh, one of the best things I heard um, the next day was, if I wanted to watch two uh, elderly white men yell at each other for an hour, I would have got. I would have gone to Stewart's, <laughs> and and I thought that was a pretty good uh, analogy because it wasn't. It wasn't substantive. Um, I, th- you know, I think Biden handled Trump fine. I guess he is. He, he Biden's always done well in debate, I believe, and he uh, he is more of a fighter, in than you know. You see a lot of the Republicans that were on stage with Trump in twenty sixteen, uh, particularly Jeb Bush, who I don't think has been around a lot of rude people before, and so I don't think he has that upbringing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Biden has much more of that. Um, you know, he's built more grit, I believe, throughout his life experience. Not not so much in the last forty seven years, but uh certainly in the first uh, you know, chapter of his life. So, um I wish we could do the town hall actually lends itself to much better because I think it's hard to argue with over each other as you're talking to, you know, a potential voter. Um so I, I wish that was more of the format. I also would take I think uh a lot of folks have said we should take the audience out altogether, not because of coronavirus, but because the best, uh, you know, debates have been the debates where candidates focus on each other. Maybe that's not possible with Donald Trump because he can't be um, controlled, I don't think, uh, you know, fully, you know. So I'm not looking forward to it, but um, I'm glad we're having it. <laughs> you know, but, mm-hmm. and, and it certainly will be one. Uh, for the history books. All right. Well, with just two weeks away until the uh, historic uh, election day, uh, polls right now are giving uh, people an indication of what the results might be. Right now, Joe Biden continues to uh, hold a big lead over President Trump in polls. The RCP national average gives Joe Biden a uh, a 8.9 uh, percent uh, advantage over President Trump in national polls. That's uh, more than a five percent uh, increase over uh, what uh, Hillary Clinton's national average was at this point. However, uh, in terms of the top battleground states, Donald Trump uh, is doing slightly better uh, at this point in time amongst the average of top battleground states than Hillary Clinton was in 20, or than he was in 2016. What are your thoughts on that? So it actually, um, one thing that I think, um, you know, is kind of connected to this is that in 2016, Hillary Clinton was obviously a flawed candidate, um, you know, to the extreme. And people, um, you know, sometimes get a little sensitive when you say that, but I would... I would offer them the evidence that Donald Trump is president, and that's because uh, probably Hillary Clinton was the only person on earth uh, that you know he could have beat. Um, you know that cycle. This cycle, uh, what I thought, you know, the Democrats were or well, the Republicans were focusing on was, you know, saying that you know Joe Biden had an unsound mind, and it was clear from, you know, the acceptance speech. And from the first debate and from this town hall that he is able to focus. Now, I don't, uh, I have have conspiracy theorists. I don't know if there are any kind of medications, you know, that uh, the former vice president might be on in order to help him focus. Certainly that's something Trump has uh, said is a possibility. He wants drug tests, I think. Um, But but be that as it may, it it seems like uh, he doesn't have that perfect enemy and the coronavirus is preventing him one of the things that i think you know uh, political scientists will look at in the 2016 election that was really amazing but donald trump and the trump campaign was working their tails off they were having towards the end two events a day massive crowds tens of thousands of people at each event people outside waiting listening to you know the PA speakers and Trump was giving hour and a half you know uh, off the cuff on message for him 
uh, speeches in, in hitting voters that the Democrats thought, you know, were never going to leave home. And uh, the anti-NAFTA rhetoric played so incredibly well in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Ohio. And, it, and it, I think, you know, they're going to be studying that for a long time. And the Democrats have obviously taken note. Joe Biden's probably their best shot at some type of, you know, Rust Belt candidate. But you don't hear, because the USMCA is the law now, and because the COVID, uh, you know, pandemic has mm. stopped Trump from being able to have those types of events, he cannot swell that enthusiasm like he could. So it is interesting. Um, the most important polls are the, you know, the election day polls, but the battleground states are the ones that we really have to watch. In I, I saw Nate Silver had some interesting uh, data on 538 and was about <laughs> how the turnout is for uh, mail-in and early voting right now. And in some of the battleground states, the turnout is not as high as they'd like on the D side. Um, so that's interesting. We'll, and we'll see how you yeah. know, see how it turns out. But the, after 2016, where I thought you know President Trump did not have a chance at being elected, I will not make a prediction that he is going. He's uh, you know out of the race because um, anything can happen. And I think those. The pollsters learned a lot in 2016. Sure. All right. Well, let's move on. So uh, right now there's a lot of controversy about a New York Post story uh, linking uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, uh, to uh, a uh, two Ukrainian emails. Right now um, it is being claimed that there were uh, emails on Hunter Biden's laptop that indicated that he was asking for a favor from Ukraine. Uh, these uh, uh, these emails were corroborated by former New York City mayor and avid Trump supporter Rudy Giuliani. Um, however, um, many people uh, have been uh, wary uh, of the report. Some people have said it's a part of Russian disinformation. Uh, and now uh, Twitter has come under controversy uh, for... Uh, removing the New York Post's uh, Twitter page um, and refusing to reinstate it until they take down the post or agree to take down the post once it's up. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? So uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is has been subpoenaed uh, by the Senate. And the biggest... So the biggest issue here, so Hunter Biden, let's, so let's back up and deconstruct it a little bit. Hunter Biden uh, was an active drug user and someone uh, known to have, um, let's say, uh, no, no real marketable skills. And this gas company gives him, you know, a million dollars, whatever the, whatever the salary was, and put them on the board. I mean, why do they hire Hunter Biden? It doesn't take, you know, a genius to figure that out. But I don't think that's the big issue because Hunter Biden is not Joe Biden. It's his son, and his son is troubled. And, and I think Joe Biden, you know, has unabashedly shown love for Hunter. And uh, unless there was something that showed Joe Biden actually being complicit in this, actually, you know, if Hunter is, great, that's a crime, and you can prosecute that, and that should be investigated. But it, it, there's been nothing so far, except for the one video where he says, you know, Son of a bitch, they fired the prosecutor, you know, about a whole withholding a billion dollars. But I don't, I don't know what the circumstances or context of that was. The, the big news that came out of that laptop, which is kind of, I mean, was such an awkward thing. A blind computer repair guy, whatever. It was, you know, that's a whole other thing. But is the censorship. And it really, uh, really put Twitter on notice because what the social media companies have been hiding behind is the fact that they say we're a platform we're not a publisher and the big difference between platform and publisher is liability and and uh, in in saying I'm a platform it's like saying I have a, you know we put a soapbox out there anyone can speak whatever they want that's the platform in censoring the New York Post mm. 
they went from platform to publisher because they don't know that this thing is not bona fide. They have no idea. So Jack Dorsey is going to have some splaining to do. Yeah. And I think that, I don't think Zuckerberg got himself into such a, a mess with this, although they were apparently censoring also. But maybe they, I think Facebook has done on occasion has flagged things so that you can still post it. But there's like, you know, it says, some of this content may not be factual or something like that, like a warning, which still could be, you know, it, it, it's not great uh, because the, Facebook doesn't know, Twitter doesn't know, they're not investigative journalists, they don't have this laptop, they don't understand the chain of custody, you know, really none of us do, uh, but that's the point, is that none of us do. So, so how could you say, you can't share this type of information? And um, if you look at Elon Musk's account on Twitter, he, he constantly will say stuff like, we must pass the great filter. And that's in reference to this type of episode. And he's, not, he's being sarcastic when he says it. Um, so I think that the biggest thing to come out of this is not that Hunter Biden has is a troubled individual who may or may not have uh, peddled access to his father. It, it looks like that. I mean, that's probably why he gets these jobs. Um, the biggest thing is there's a media war and the New York Post is old media and print media and Twitter is new media and social and online media. And so now you're going to see these, that, I bet you the back rooms were buzzing, you know, uh, from the legal staff up to the publishers, you know, on the Post side and from the legal staff up to the social media, you know, censors and monitors, whatever they may they call them safety people, I think. But uh, so I think we're going to look at that testimony and see if this is a pivot or a point of inflection and in how social media companies are treated. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to the next story. So Steve Scully, he is a he is a uh, veteran at C-SPAN uh, who's worked there for over 30 years. He was scheduled to host the second debate uh, before it was canceled. Uh, he had previously come under fire. Uh, many people thought he was biased towards Joe Biden because he had attended Biden events before. Um, it, uh, he has now been suspended from, uh, from C-SPAN after saying his social media was hacked, a, uh, a claim which has turned out to be false. Um, as a result, he has been suspended uh, indefinitely from the C-SPAN network. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up, right? So I don't know why. I, I, I understand he either DM'd uh, Scaramucci... Or he attempted maybe to DM Scaramucci, but actually ended up tweeting to him, at him instead of uh, you know direct message. So, and then was em embarrassed, or I don't know if there's some implied uh, bias from that tweet. I didn't think so. He was basically asking Scaramucci how to handle something, and that's I don't see any bias in that. But then he maybe was very nervous. I don't know. And, you know, maybe he claimed, you know, that he was hacked and he wasn't hacked. So, but it's so interesting that C-SPAN is, you know, such a dry, it's intentionally, you know, dry forum. Kind of like I, our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think the, the crime isn't that, isn't that great. Hopefully he gets reinstated. He, he you know, made a mistake. Uh, I've watched him a lot and I think he's pretty good at handling, you know, the calls and not showing, I've, I've not seen any bias from him. Uh, so hopefully it's survivable and the powers that be at C-SPAN forgive him and he can move on. If not, I'm sure he has a, you know, a plethora of options. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. So President Donald Trump appears to have bashed uh, CDC Director Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, in a leaked phone call. Uh, Trump called uh, Fauci in the call a, quote, disaster uh, and said he had been at the CDC uh, for 500 years. Um, 
Uh, Trump later went on to clarify his rhetoric was softer uh, in public, but he did say that uh, he thought Fauci had made some bad, some quote-unquote bad calls in his mind. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, you know, I thought Dr. Fauci um, was put on a little bit too much of a pedestal, uh, you know, and maybe had too much sway initially, but it looks like the the course has been overcorrected now. I, I, he's, from all accounts, seems like a very good person and a very smart man, uh, highly educated, you know, understands how societies work to, to the degrees that, um, you know, the doctor uh, would be afforded that. But, you know, Trump turning on someone who doesn't say the things that he wants is no surprise. It's just, um, he, I think he has to be careful with Dr. Fauci, who I believe he uh, referred to as Tony repeatedly on Twitter. Uh, Tony over and over again. Um, because Dr. Fauci during the pandemic was so elevated in terms of profile and respected, uh, I think, but you know, bipartisan, uh, you know, uh, you know, support for him and listening to him. So Trump has to be careful because there are some uh, things that are larger than he, although it may be hard to explain that to him. Um, it's no surprise when Fauci says things that are unpleasant to Trump, uh, like you should be wearing a mask now. Um, it's, uh, you know, Trump's reaction is to try and insult and diminish so instead of calling him Dr. Fauci, he refers to him as Tony. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. So the Biden uh, campaign uh, has released a uh, document uh, to uh, other uh, campaign staffers uh, saying that Trump could still win the 2020 presidential election. Uh, the uh, the document said uh, that even though uh, Trump was behind in current polls, he could still win, uh, and the Biden campaign needed to campaign as if they were trailing to Donald Trump. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on that? I mean, it's smart. It's like, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, to, to make a comparison, if you look at LeBron James... Uh, when he wins, you know, a division title, usually he's not smiling because there's more work to do. And it's a smart uh, campaign tactic to keep people focused. Don't, you know, don't let up. We have to press through till the end. You have to keep on running and run hard, run like you're losing, um, even, if, even if you're not. And they're probably also... 2016 was probably very unsettling for a lot of establishment, um, you know, politicians, pollsters, uh, analysts, advisors, a whole gamut of, you know, political professionals. Uh, 2016 was a shocker. So I think what, you know, it's very wise to say we might not be winning and we need to press harder. If they are winning, that doesn't hurt. If they're not winning and they don't know it, uh, you know, certainly that would be the right attitude. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. Uh, so the FBI has uncovered uh, a plot uh, by a militia, by an anarchist militia group uh, to uh, kidnap uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Um uh, Whitmer responded to this um, and uh, by uh, by blaming uh, Trump's rhetoric, President Trump's rhetoric uh, for this. Uh, Trump uh, then went on to attack Whitmer on Twitter um, and uh, and attacked her as well at a uh, recent campaign rally. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, there's something I'd like to say, but I, you know, uh, people might not see me smirking when I say it, but, I'm, you know, I wasn't completely rooting for the militia, but I shouldn't say that. I'm just, I'm kidding, but, 
uh, she she has not done setting aside you know any kind of violent act to uh, you know try and kidnap her would be uh, atrocious and it would be horrible um, but just looking at her um, governing during the crisis was pretty maddening uh, there was you could go to Walmart but you could only buy certain items and it's just so inconsistent and so apparent why you know uh, one person cannot rule um, effectively you need to have a deliberative body which where all interests or a variety of interests are brought up and debate and rigorous uh, review is had um, so and I think you know initially the framing of the militia was right-wing but as they dug into the backgrounds of these guys it you know turns out it was more um, anarcho-capitalist and, and maybe even uh, you know some of the folks were marching with BLM uh, so they weren't really uh, like your de facto, you know, kind of uh, gun-toting right-wingers uh, as they were being portrayed initially. I, I don't know how sophisticated this uh, plot was. You know, I did, I did try and look for some facts, but I can't find, other than he said this or he said that, what was the real plotting here? Was this mm-hmm. a group text, you know, gone wrong, or was this... These guys um, have some actual plans to do this, mm-hmm. and I believe they were infiltrated by the FBI. Um, you know, so they probably have some hard evidence that will come out. Uh, but I'm glad they were unsuccessful. But I thought that uh, setting that aside, I thought that Michigan was one of the you know best examples of why you cannot have a single individual rule and why you need a legislative body, uh, you know, present. Because she just came up with some absolutely... I think at one point you could have two people in a boat. You know, with, mm. with like up to two people. But what, what sense does that make? What what does that mean? You know, right. what, what if you have a family of five? And you're all living together. It, it just... It's very arbitrary. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that they were... Uh, you know, the plot was interrupted and unsuccessful. Um, but I thought that she did a horrible job, you know, for Michigan. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. So New Zealand and Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was reelected by a landslide last night. Ardern is known to be a staunch progressive for her for her positions on on issues like or on issues such. Uh, as gun control and the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, however, Ardem's uh, landslide was overwhelming. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I don't have a s- strong feeling, you know, and the people of New Zealand have apparently have uh, elected their leader, and, and, that's, and that's good for them. It's hard to compare, um, you know, uh, it's it's hard to compare New Zealand to America, but you you do see uh, globally, uh, geopolitically, um, that the pendulum, you know, of political ascension does does seem to swing uh, rhythmically around the world. Uh, Boris Johnson and you know Donald Trump, um, you know, and I believe a lot of uh, European elections swung to the right. You know, as as Trump became ascendant. A lot of uh, European, uh, Europe first, your country, you know, insert your country here first, uh, nationalism uh, seemed to thrive. And I think that there's a natural, you know, countercourse reaction to that. So it'd be interesting to see if New Zealand uh, election is a bellwether for, you know, the, the pendulum swinging back towards the progressive, uh, you know, political ascension. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. Uh, so on top of the uh, presidential races, the Senate uh, is also up for grabs. Uh, Democrats need to gain four seats to get a clear majority. However, if they gain 50 seats, uh, Chuck Schumer will become majority leader if Kamala Harris uh, is elected vice president of the United States and thus becomes vice uh, becomes president of the Senate, breaking the 50-50 uh, tie. Uh, right now, there are a number of competitive races like in Alabama, uh, Arizona, Colorado, uh, uh, North Carolina, uh, Maine, uh, Ge- both seats in Georgia, uh, and Iowa. 
um, amongst some. Other races have been closer than expected. Uh, right now, uh, Lindsey Graham is in a surprisingly closer than expected race for re-election uh, in uh, South Carolina against opponent Jamie Harrison. Um, however, uh, right now, um, the Senate seems to be a squeaker. It looks like it could be a squeaker in terms of who gains uh, control. Uh, in one race, uh, North Carolina, uh, the Democratic candidate um, appears to be deadlocked, Cal Cunningham, despite the fact that there was a recent scandal in which he was sexting a, uh, a woman outside of his wife who, uh, who was actually a woman married to a U.S. veteran. Um, however, in spite of that, the polling still appears to be tight. What are your thoughts uh, on all this? So I think also Michigan is closer than... Uh, John James, Gary Peters. Yes, I think that was... Uh, that's when I'm watching. Um, now, of course, I wish that election was last year so that then you could have some idea what the population there is is uh, gravitating towards. It would be interesting. I mean, Michigan obviously has uh, large, uh, dense urban populations, but they also have a lot of uh, you know, farmland and smaller communities. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that, that turns out. I think Lindsey Graham will be, uh, I, I agree that it will be close, but I'm, I'm guessing that he's still very popular in that state. I think Diane uh, Feinstein, uh, senator from California, gave him a hug after uh, ACB's uh, nomination hearing and said that was one of the best run hearings I can remember. In and I thought that was a really nice moment, actually. I think Lindsey Graham is a, he's definitely, he's definitely a politician in that he will, uh, he will do the work and say the things that are necessary in order to move, uh, you know, uh, in the direction that the party wants to move. Um, this ACB nomination is obviously uh, case in point. He said earlier, you know, don't, you can use my words against me, you know, and then this situation arises and he's, well, this is different. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm, uh, if, if there is a, so if Biden wins, the, well, let's start with if Trump wins the presidency, the Republicans, I think pretty obviously hold the Senate, um, and then maybe even pick up in the house, but don't take the house. If Biden wins the presidency, you would, I think you would see some losses in the house and that's when the Senate's truly in jeopardy. I, 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 don't, I don't see the Senate flipping. I don't think, and, and I rely on uh, a lot of Nate Silver's analysis for the uh, hard numbers. I don't think he has it yet also. Um, so, so for right now, I think it, it, the slimmest of majorities uh, remain with the Republicans, even with a Biden uh, victory. If Biden does win and Republicans hold the Senate, do you think what types of conflicts do you think could occur during the first two years of a Biden presidency? I think you're going to see more done. But, you know, the thing about Biden and the establishment, you know, that supports him is that they they know how the mechanics of Washington function. And so those mechanisms are very important. The one thing. Uh, Biden actually said in the town hall, the thing that Trump uses as a barometer for a measure of success, his success is Dow Jones average, you know, stock market. I, I will say, you know, that Biden would use many, many more metrics and that the administration would have a much broader touch. And and so the, I think you'll see more bipartisanship than we've seen uh, because Trump tends to make um, Democrats recalcitrant and I think Biden is much more of hey let's get something done um, you know the enemy of uh, you know the good is perfect and I, I think he's said that and I, I think that's you know a uh, very fair assessment it doesn't mean that Trump would not get things done because he does he's done many of the things that he said he was going to do when he ran he's actually done uh, to a lot of people's surprise um, but I think Biden will also be effective, even with the Republican Senate. It would, it would be nice to see that balance, if you ask me, because when one party owns all, you know, uh, both the uh, legislature and 
the presidency, um, I think we tend to move too quickly in, in uh, you know, whatever that party's direction is. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. So the Supreme Court has agreed to take up an issue on the wall uh, on the uh, Mexican border between America and Mexico. Um, they have officially agreed to take it up, take up that case. Uh, what are your thoughts? So I'm not, I don't know if I'm familiar with it. Is it a property dispute for eminent domain or, uh, because the, the wall is obviously legal. And in fact, in California, they, they had, you know, they called a wall offense, a barrier, I think is the generic term. Um, they had, you know, when they put up barriers in San Diego and, you know, the uh, Southern California, um, they were proven to be extremely effective, um, so now that they have those, you know, I, I think, you know, you would you would think, you know, we need more of that if you want to control the border and control that type of, um, you know, immigration. The the wall is has been expanded. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure who foots the bill for that. I think that was another campaign promise. But um, one of the yeah, I know one of the cases that they're deciding now is whether or not. Uh, Mexicans or people coming through from Mexico seeking asylum, whether they have to wait out um, their application period in Mexico, uh, that is a change that the Trump administration uh, instituted. And I know that um, that is going to court. Um, there's also uh, eminent domain issues, um, you know, along that border, uh, you know, where we have private property uh, rights. But, the, you know, unfortunately, I think eminent domain in the country is, uh, you know, has been established. It's long established at this point. Um, so I think the wall will continuously be built under any, under any administration. It's just some people may use it for cover and other people may use it for uh, political uh, convenience. Uh, but they're going to continue to build a barrier in order to try and control, you know, that border. All right, well, let's move on to the last story. So rapper Ice Cube, or not, uh, yeah, Ice Cube, um, has officially endorsed President Trump for President of the United States. Uh, in a tweet, uh, Ice Cube said, uh, he said, F this uh, in response to Joe Biden's tax plan. Uh, I'm voting, uh, uh, vote Trump. Um, he went on to say uh, that he didn't care if Trump hated black people or not, he's still going to vote for him in response to Biden's uh, tax plan. What are your thoughts on Ice Cube endorsing Donald Trump? So he has, and I should also note, he's been a staunch critic of Trump in the past. So I think Ice Cube was trying to get a meeting um, with s uh, a group not affiliated with the Trump administration. And it might have been about Prison reform. I don't remember the exact issue. I, I I have to make a correction. It was Fifty Cent, not Ice Cube. I apologize. Oh, okay. Because because uh, Ice Cube has uh, recently come up and and was trying to get a meeting with uh, some folks, and they wouldn't ha hold the meeting. So the Trump administration said, "Sure, come you know come on in. Like we'll listen to your ideas." And then Ice Cube was criticized for that. Fifty Cent is actually a pretty uh, clever guy. He's actually a really funny guy. Um, you know, he, it doesn't surprise me that you see some, uh, you know, some folks from, you know, the hip hop community, especially if they uh, have real financial interests and they start thinking about the implications of one party over the other. I don't think it's, you know, when, it, when he says, I don't care if he hates black people, what he's really saying is... I'm not interested in this individual. I'm interested in this party's philosophy. Mm. And I want to support this party's philosophy. And this party, you know, has, a, you know, a better future. It's going in the direction I want to go. So um, one thing we haven't talked about, but this kind of lends itself to it, is that uh, Trump may well do better in the black community with the black vote the Hispanic community um, than many, many other folks. Because I think 
he connects with people uh, on a level that, you know, he sound because of he's so uh, raw, um, he, he sounds like it couldn't possibly be scripted. So you maybe you get in, a, in some ways a sense that uh, you're having a real conversation with someone rather than a scripted, you know, uh, reply that you might receive from another politician. Um, so I think he genuinely cares. I know, he, I know uh, his policies, uh, and some people would criticize uh, his language. Uh, certainly that's fair. Um, but I think he generally cares about uh, black and brown communities. Um, that's, that would not be a popular opinion uh, you know, in some circles. But I think he does, and I think it resonates with a lot of them. And, and I think he'll do better than expected. Um, I think he already did in 2016, but he will do even better because there's been a lot of outreach, and that's very smart. And that's also something that I think scares the Democrats, that, they're, you know, that they lost uh, white working middle-class voters in 2016. You know, not entirely, but in a, in a great enough percentage to cost them the election, and if they if that erosion were to continue on into the black community, and um, and I don't think they've ever really had a hold on the Hispanic community. I think they have the majority, but not a supreme majority like they do in the black community. Uh, I think it scares the Democrats, and it would do nothing but benefit these communities because the more people you have vying for your vote, the the options that you have you know, the, the more chances you have to improve your future. All right. Well, thank you again, Scott Stalker, for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, make sure to tune in. We're going to be doing an election night special in two weeks. There are just two weeks left till election day. Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Voters will soon decide who will get to lead the nation through social unrest, a global pandemic, and a fight for the Supreme Court. Politics Weekly will be with it all with Election Week 2020. During this week, get analysis about the candidates, history about past elections, and more. And strap in for an action-packed Election Day special on November 3rd. Election Week, happening this week on Politics Weekly. Hey everybody, welcome to the HUD Podcast. It's the new official podcast for the Hudsonian newspaper at Hudson Valley Community College. I'm Nolan Cleary, the managing editor for the Hudsonian, and I'm going to be your host. On this show, we're going to talk all about the news on campus, and we're going to give you all the advice you need to make it at HVCC. Right now, we're living in uncertain times, and I think this podcast is going to be a great outlet to sort of capture and address the concerns students have at this time. You know, one of the things I love about the Hudsonian is that any student can join, and you can get paid for it. The HUD, coming soon to YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.